I invite you to turn with me in your copies of God's Word to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, we'll look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. As we come to read God's holy and inspired and infallible word, would you bow with me in prayer? <clears throat> Our Father, we ask that you would fulfill what you reveal in this passage in us now, that this word would speed ahead and be honored, and that you would use this word as a mighty instrument in your hand to bring sinners to saving faith in the Lord Jesus and to build up those who are in him, in his grace and in his knowledge, conforming us to his image, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Be with us now at the close of this Lord's Day, the day in which you raised him from the dead for our salvation that that resurrection power at work in your people would be at work now for our growth in grace to put sin to death and to quicken your grace in us. We ask for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ and in his name, amen. Would you stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word? Second Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith but the Lord is faithful he will establish you and guard you against the evil one and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we went through chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, we saw Paul's pastoral heart for this church. After he corrects a false teaching, that famous false teaching regarding the return of Christ and the revelation of the man of lawlessness, after he corrects that false teaching that had been circulating in the church, he encourages them, saying to them, you are beloved by the Lord. He has chosen you, he has called you, he has sanctified you, and he will finally lead you to be glorified with Jesus Christ. And he encouraged them that he was praying for them, that they would stand firm and hold fast to the truth. So that is how Paul ends chapter 2, showing his pastoral heart. Well, here we not only see his pastoral heart, but his pastoral need. Paul shares with his church not only that he is praying for them, but that he needs their prayers for him. The Thessalonians were not the only church he was ministering to. He needed their prayers for his ministry of God's word in other parts of the Mediterranean as he traveled throughout that region spreading the gospel. And as Paul transitions from the body of this letter to its close, he points out three things. He, he points out, first of all, his prayer request to the Thessalonians. Secondly, he holds before them the faithfulness of God. And third, he prays again for God's direction for his people. So first of all, he offers his prayer request in verses 1 and 2. Let's reread those, those verses now. Finally, brothers, pray for us 
that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So throughout these two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, Paul has been praying for this church. Many times he, he tells them what he is praying to God for them. And here he asks the church to pray for him. Even the learned and distinguished Apostle Paul needed the prayers of God's people. We often talk about how there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity, the, the notion in which you supposedly come to faith in Christ and have no communion with the body of Christ. And rightly so, there is no such thing as that. Well, here is a great example of this. Paul's not saying pray for each other, although that should be true of us. He's saying pray for us, pray for me and my fellow missionaries as we spread the gospel. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity in part because we all need each other. And as Paul is showing us here, the officers in Christ's church need the prayers of Christ's people. So your officers here, your ministers, your elders, your deacons, need your prayers. In God's providence, in our catechism review, we saw Shorter Catechism 98, which I remind you of now. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So as we see more in a moment what we should be praying for when we pray for our officers, suffice it to say now that it is clear that we should be praying for our officers. As he clearly says, pray for us. And as that, that catechism answer says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. So all of God's people should desire to offer up your officers to God in prayer. Because I promise you this, all of your officers desire your prayers. I am a, a very blessed intern. Many, many interns are glorified secretaries. But I, I know that I am prayed for. I know that I am treated very well by God's people here as an intern. In the last couple of weeks, many of you have told me that you are praying for me as I face ordination exams, which are tomorrow morning. And by the way, if, if you've been unsure, if, if, you're, if you've been on the fence, should our family have an all-night prayer vigil for Adam? Should we not? <laughs> I, I encourage you, go ahead and do that. Make a pot of coffee. Pray that those ordination exams would be passed. 2,000 years of church history just comes to mind. The mystery of the sacraments are just, just known, just understood perfectly. Well, seriously, we, we should praise God, and we do praise God that this is a congregation that prays for her officers. Your officers need your prayers. So it is, it is clear that your officers need your prayers. How should we pray for our officers, our ministers, our pastors especially? Well, in verse 1, Paul is asking for the prayers of the Thessalonians for his work. Look at how he puts it there in verse 1. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. So he's asking for the prayers, for their prayers, for the ministry of the word. And he asks for prayer for those two specific things. The word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. So 
he's asking for prayer that God's word may speed ahead. Literally, that word there translated speed ahead is run, that the word of the Lord may run. He's asking that God's word would gain ground, that it would not be hindered, but rather advance. Paul was not able to stay in Thessalonica with this church. He had to go preach the gospel elsewhere. He had to move on through the Mediterranean region. And he's writing this epistle, this second epistle to the Thessalonians, probably from Athens or or from Corinth. So he's asking for prayer that the gospel would rightly and powerfully be preached, that it would speed ahead. He also asks that God's word may be honored. And you may have a footnote there by honored, and, and this word could be translated literally, glorified, that the word of the Lord may be glorified. Now, for whatever reason, many professing Christians don't like this idea, glorifying God's word. They say, well, is the Bible another person of the Trinity? Well, no, of course not. No one is saying that. We're not talking about bowing down and worshiping the Bible. We're talking about bowing down and worshiping the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. That doesn't make the Bible less important. It makes it essential. So the word, as Paul says elsewhere, I think in Romans 1.16, the word is the power of God for salvation. So if the Bible is what it says it is, if it is the very words of God himself, the power of God for salvation, then it most certainly should be held in highest honor, and we should pray to that end. So ministers need the prayers of all of God's people, and specifically that the gospel we are privileged to preach would be used by God to save sinners and to sanctify those who are in Christ every time it goes out. And Paul goes on there in verse 1. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So what Paul is asking them to pray for here, he says, is exactly what happened when he was preaching the gospel to them, as we read of in in Acts 17. Think back to to 1 Thessalonians 1.9, how he praises the Thessalonians that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That is what happened when Paul preached the gospel to them there. It sped ahead and it was glorified. It manifested in their salvation. They turned from the idols they were serving, being in darkness and and in pagan worship, serving those false gods, turning from them to serve the living and true God when they heard his word. So he's saying, pray that the same thing happens every time the word goes out. As you received it, as the word was honored and glorified among you, Pray that it would be honored and glorified every time it goes out. So Paul is asking for prayer for his work as a minister, but he goes on and asks for prayer for something else in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. That we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So here he's asking for prayer for their safety, for the safety of him and Silas and Timothy, his missionary friends and associates, as they minister God's word. So the, the background for, for first and second Thessalonians you can read in read of in Acts 17. That's where Luke records that Paul and Silas preached in Thessalonica, and the Thessalonians believed. That is the Thessalonian church to whom these epistles were originally written, the, the church there in Thessalonica. But it was not all rosy when Paul preached the gospel. It actually started a riot. Many of the Jews in Thessalonica hated the fact that Paul was preaching Christ. And it should be no surprise because Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. 
It was not safe for Paul and Silas to be there, so they had to leave in the middle of the night. They went from Thessalonica and fled to Berea. Well, it wasn't that, that they were so safe in Berea. The Thessalonian unbelievers, after Paul preached there, were so adamant in, in, in their hatred of God's word that they pursued Paul and Silas all the way to Berea and made them flee there as well. So there, there were plenty of people in Thessalonica who received the word Paul preached and believed the, the, the letters to whom uh, the, the, the people to whom these letters were given originally. But they're also, as Paul says here, wicked and evil men who drove them away. So Paul's asking for prayer that they would be delivered from such men as they minister God's word. So the, the language that Paul uses here in, in verse 2, we can see an echo of the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, that petition, thy kingdom come. And you think of how Shorter Catechism 102 un- unpacks the meaning of that petition. What do we pray for in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come? We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So Paul is asking that they would be delivered from the enemies of the gospel here. So why does he ask that? Well, not because he thinks he's better than they are. He remembers that he was once a persecutor of the church as well. He's asking that not because he doesn't want them to be saved too. He's asking because he wants to be delivered from them. Why? So the gospel can be delivered without hindrance. It's all about the work. It's not so much about Paul personally. It's all about the work of ministry. That's what Paul is praying for here, for the success of the spread of the good news of the Lord Jesus. So he's asking for prayer that God would multiply his efforts. Paul can't go throughout the entire earth. We can't go throughout the entire earth and spread the gospel. God must multiply and bless our efforts. Paul is asking that God would use him to show sinners the Savior. And so that is what we as God's people are to pray for. When we read, pray for us, pray for the ministers of God's word, that is what we are to pray for. So do you, do you see how necessary you are as a regular believer, how necessary you are for the advance of the gospel, even though you are not ordained, even though you are not getting in the pulpit and preaching, you are praying, and that is vital to the ministry of the word. Praying for the ministry of the word is not like being the water boy for the football team. It's not like the, the, the real players say, you, you just stay on the sideline while, while we actually play the game. You just get us a drink when we need one. You're not really on the team, but we'll make you feel like you are on the team. It's not like that at all. Prayer is a vital part of the ministry of the word that all of us get to do. You have a part in the ministry of the word, in the success of that ministry. All of God's people. Women are not called to ministry of the word. Not all men are called to the ministry of the word. But all of us, all of God's people are called to take part in that ministry by praying for it. May God add his blessing to to that work. So that's Paul's prayer request. Secondly, he reminds us of the faithfulness of God there in verses 3 and 4. So notice how Paul ends verse 2 and begins verse 3. Into verse 2, not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. We ought not be discouraged by the fact that the gospel is opposed by 
wicked and evil men. And if, as you look at the background of this in Acts 17, seeing how there were, there were rioters driving Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica, then out of Berea for preaching the gospel, it can be discouraging, the opposition the gospel ministry has. Notice how Paul directs our attention heavenward. Not, not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Of course, not all have faith. Not all will believe. When the gospel goes out, some will reject it. In, indeed, many will reject it. But that's not the point. The point is, the Lord is faithful. Don't worry so much about what people will do. Think about who God is and what he has promised when the word goes out. Don't be concerned so much about what people will do with the truth. Know that the Lord is faithful. Think of how Paul puts it elsewhere. Romans 3, 3 and 4, speaking of the, the unbelief of Israel. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. 2 Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In the relationship of the covenant, the, the two parties, God and his people, which party is faithful? God is. When God makes covenant, he keeps it. He is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He is faithful, and he cannot deny himself. So no matter how God's word is received by men, whether they receive it in faith and believe, whether they reject it, whether they persecute the preacher, however it is received, God always accomplishes his wise and holy purpose when it goes out. Think of Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Every time the word goes out, it is successful either for the hardening of the reprobate or for the salvation of the elect and the upbuilding of the elect in the Lord Jesus. So the Lord is faithful. He makes covenant with sinners. He keeps covenant. He causes sinners to keep covenant in vital union with the Lord Jesus. He always glorifies himself when his word goes out. And we see another echo of the Lord's prayer in, in Paul's uh, section of this epistle this section of the epistle. Uh, we see there in verse 3 an echo of the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look, look there again at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So similar wording there to that petition of the Lord's prayer. Think of how Shorter Catechism 106 un unpacks the meaning of that petition. What do we pray for in the sixth petition of the, of the Lord's prayer? We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. So that is what this promise in verse 3 means. God will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. He will strengthen you. He will watch over you. He will shepherd you as a shepherd watches over the sheep. He will support and deliver you when you are tempted. Think, I think very helpfully of, of Job. Satan had to get God's permission to test Job. Satan could not do anything to Job that God did not allow. Satan could only do so much. He could only do what God commanded and willed him to do to Job. 
all, all the suffering you read of that, that Job experienced in his life, losing his family, losing his, his cattle, his livestock, all that Satan did to him, all that was decreed and ordered by God for his good. As, as Martin Luther is credited with saying, the devil is God's devil. Satan and the forces of evil can only do so much, and all that they can do is used by God for his glory and for the good of his people. So God will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. So as we saw in verses 1 and 2, Paul is asking for prayer, but here in in verses 3 and 4, he's encouraging us to be confident that all that we pray for will be answered. So when you pray for what God commands, your prayers will be answered. They will be if they are in accordance with God's word. We can have confidence in our prayers being answered, not because we ask nicely, not because we merit our our prayers being answered, but because of who God is, as we've seen him reveal himself here. He is faithful. He will not let his word go out for no purpose. He has promised to establish and guard those who are in Christ. So when our prayers are in conformity to God's word, we are asking God for things that he himself desires. We are asking for things that he himself desires. A prayer that matches up with what God wants is a prayer that will be granted. Thirdly, we, are, we see another prayer for God's direction in verse 5. So Paul has asked for prayer. He has reminded us of the faithfulness of God. And here he prays for God's people as he has done so many times in these epistles. Look again at, at, at verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This prayer here is most basically that our hearts would be directed. It is a prayer for the direction of our hearts. A prayer that our hearts would be straightened. That our hearts would have no deviations. That they would stay on the straight and narrow. That our hearts would be certainly led to something. And we see that the two things he prays our hearts would be directed toward. For the love of God and toward the steadfastness of Christ. That our hearts would be directed to the love of God, that our hearts would be brought into the love of God, that our hearts would, would know the God who is love for all who are in Christ, that we would love the God who has first loved us and sent his son to pay for our sins in his death. Matthew Henry very helpfully comments on, on the nature of our affections. We sustain a, a great deal of damage by misplacing our affections. It is our sin and our misery that we place our affections upon wrong objects. If God directs our love aright upon himself, the rest of the affections will thereby be corrected. Whatever we we set our affections upon that is not the Lord, we will be disappointed in those things. Earth can only give so much. Our affections, therefore, were made to be directed heavenward. As the psalmist says in Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So Paul prays that our hearts will be directed to the love of God. And he prays that our hearts will be directed to the steadfastness of Christ. This is to pray that our hearts would have endurance in Christ. That our hearts would persevere in Christ. That we would have the patient characteristics of the Lord Jesus. 
as Leon Morris, the commentator, says about this, the Thessalonians are being reminded of the constancy exhibited by the Master, which forms the pattern on which they should model themselves. Think of the endurance that the Lord Jesus had as He went to the cross. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There the author of Hebrews portrays the Christian life as a race, and it is a race that we are to run with endurance. Giving up is not an option. But it's not that we, we do more, we try harder, we, we run in our own strength. Rather, it is that we run on a path that already has the footsteps of the Lord Jesus on it. It is a race that he himself has already run. He has gone ahead of us. The race we run, he has already done. But it's more than that. It's more than a race that Jesus has already done uh, before us. We don't really run the race following after Jesus. We run the race in Jesus. He strengthens us with his power to run the race that he has already run. Yes, of course, he is our model. He is our example of endurance. But more importantly, he is the cause of our endurance. So that is what Paul prays for, that our hearts would be directed to the steadfastness of the Lord Jesus. When closing, I have simply one application that you should pray for the ministry of the Word. Does gospel ministry, does the work of the officers of Christ's church factor into your prayer life? Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your elders and your deacons? Maybe you say, okay, I see the need for this. I see that I should do this. But what do I do? I don't know where I should start. Well, other than this passage, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3, these are the qualifications of post-apostolic church officers, ministers, and then deacons. Let's focus on chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or, or pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then verses 8 through 13 will list the qualifications for deacons. So these qualifications for elders and deacons, pray through these. 
pray through these qualifications, read through this chapter prayerfully, and, and ask, Lord, make this true of those men. Make this true of David, of Jeff, of Adam. Make this true of my elders in the appropriate section. Make this true of my deacons. Pray for us by name, each of these qualifications. Pray for what we see back in our, in our own passage, that the, that the word of the Lord, every time it goes out, would speed ahead and be honored. Pray for our growth in grace, our holiness. Pray that we would handle the word of truth rightly. Pray that this word would dwell in us richly, that our homes would be little kingdoms where every member of the home knows and serves the Lord Jesus from the heart in all things, that we would love and serve Christ's church, which he purchased with his own precious blood, that sinners would be saved here and elsewhere, and that God's people would grow in grace. So do you see the high and sobering calling of gospel ministry? But do you also see your involvement in it, your privilege to pray for the ministers who shepherd your soul? Do you see the need to pray for these things? Well, in conclusion, especially as we think of the faithfulness of God as he has revealed himself in this passage we have just seen, I think of, can think of no better way of closing than reading the, the conclusion of John Lilly's the, the end of John Lilly's lecture on this passage. John Lilly was an amazing American Presbyterian expositor. And he says, of, he says of God's faithfulness this, Beloved hearers, are there any of you whose hearts have not yet been directed into this path of life? You love many things, but you do not love God. You bear, it may be with some measure of cheerful equanimity, the various losses and crosses of life, but your patience such as it is, is not the patience of Christ. You know that you are not suffering with him, and you have no hope, no thought of being glorified together with him. And yet to you likewise, this same Christ is offered as your Savior. Will you still trifle with that offer? Beware, lest it be silently, but forever withdrawn. Oh, that the word of the Lord might even now run and be glorified in your salvation. Venture forth, I beseech you, by the love of God and by the patience of Christ and by all that is awful and all that is desirable in eternity, venture forth no longer alone without chart or compass on those perilous seas. Do your own hearts never fail you there? And where then do you look for deliverance? Dear friends, look to Jesus. See him walking on the sea. He draws near unto you. Be not afraid, but like the poor disciples in the storm-tossed waters of Galilee, willingly receive him into the ship. Yes, give him the helm. Let him henceforward direct your course, and then all is well. Soon, very soon, the darkness itself will be past, and when the calm light of the eternal morn dawns, you will be resting secure in your desired haven. Amen. And may God add his blessing to the preaching of his holy word.